Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Uh, I'm Josh Reynolds. I'm happy to be here. Um, we have four girls in our home, and so I am earning this haircut as we speak. <laughs> I give, I brought a picture of them because of those four girls, let's show them. Uh, of those four girls, one of them is uh, starting to get suspicious of Santa. And so there they are. And one of them is starting to get suspicious. I'll show you her. It's five-year-old Lou because Old Red still hasn't brought her that iPad that she's been asking for for two years in a row. Sure, she's going to get it. However, this year Santa did bring the skateboard she asked for. My five-year-old asked for a skateboard for Christmas, and so like as a dad, that does your heart really good. Uh, inevitably, however, that skateboard will, will end up um, like all good gifts stored away somewhere. Um, in fact, I went to uh, my storage room uh, to pull out my skateboard, uh, which might be why uh, Lou is sure that she needed one. Uh, I was 20 years old, and this is the skateboard that I took along with a backpack and to my mother's chagrin, nothing else, to study abroad in Australia for a semester. A skateboard, a backpack, and that's it. And so I jumped on a plane and said, here we go. <laughs> It's an honor to be invited to close the series Home for the Holidays. We've been working through uh, the home about, and looking at different rooms. Uh, and so they gave me the big wrap-up duty of the storage room. And I'm thrilled because the storage room in our family is a joke. It's, it's funny because when we moved to Bloomington about eight years ago, I bought a barn and the house just came with it. And so the walls of that barn is the storage room. And man, there are all kinds of things stacked and bagged and packed away in that barn. And the cool thing is, in a house full of women with one bathroom, <coughs> need a raise, um, in that place, the barn, that is the space where all of my internal storage goes to be with all my external storage. Like the walls of that barn have heard me uh, pray and cry and celebrate. Because over the years, I have or have not been the type of husband that I want to be or have or have not been the type of father that I'm called to be. And the scary one is when I'm not the pastor, that my vocational calling that, that God has given me. And so I need a place to retreat to and expose those emotions and then storm back away. And so that is the intention of our time this morning, to work through the storage room together and take inventory of the stories that our storage tells. So I'll pray, and then I'd love to, to walk through some passages of scripture with you, yeah? Father, it's good to be in your house. Um, and I love that song, Where We Go, There You Are. So God, we know you're not confined to this place, and yet you desire to meet us here. So meet us, please, as we open your word, as we expose ourselves to scripture, to your truth, and God, help us to walk out of here changed and transformed. Amen. 
So um, a couple familiar passages from the Christmas story. Let's pack it up well by asking some maybe unfamiliar questions of the Christmas story. Like question number one, where did Mary store her gifts on that first Christmas? Where did she store her gifts? It was about two years after Jesus was born first Christmas, relative. Two years after Jesus was born, and the wise men had traveled 800 miles to ask the question, where's the baby? Now, as a parent of several children, my wife and I have asked that question before. Where's the baby? But this was a different type of where's the baby question. This is a where's the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star and have come to worship him. You start to do the math on that. It took them two years to travel to see after seeing the stars. Here's the problem with that question. Where's the baby? They asked the wrong dignitary. They asked King Herod. And King Herod didn't know either. In fact, that question, where's the baby, invited Herod to hear the 700-year-old prophecy from Micah. Here's what the prophecy said. You, Bethlehem, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Now, this this portion of Micah's prophecy, he wrote a whole book in the Old Testament, but this portion is all about storing hope. It's all about storing hope. On this side of Old Testament history, we know that the the prophecy of Micah, which was the whole of the book, was Assyria is coming with a sword. But then Babylon would come. And then Persia would come. And then Rome would come. Yikes. Micah knows a thing or two about not only the hardship of life and the need to store and hold on to hope. Um, Here's the good news for us today. You and I, not only can we hold and store hope, but we can nurture and grow hope. Scripture is very clear that the hope we do have is just a seed and we can grow. That's called spiritual formation. It's the idea that the character of Christ, our hope in him, our faith in Jesus will grow and his character will take over and fill us completely so that Jesus inside of us, his character growing, the hope of Jesus in us growing changes how we see the world around us and it helps us see his kingdom uh, In Matthew's passage, the people who hold on to hope were wise men. They're the ones who knew how to look at the stars. They were culturally aware of their world, but they were also spiritually sensitive. You see, they knew the ancient prophecy, and they knew how to say, amidst hardship is hope, and they knew how to hold both We are never to divorce our spiritual world from the world around us that we move through. The New Testament's incredibly clear. We're called to be light in dark places. And it's from the stars that the wise men knew how and where to find Jesus. 
And so they humped, or that humped, <laughs> that's funny. They jumped on their camels. I guess they did hump over to Bethlehem as quickly as possible. 800 miles. That's like going from here to New Orleans on a camel. And you thought going to your in-laws was rough. Like that one. Okay, camel jokes. Let's not do those. Fair enough. More bad news on this one. Herod is not keen to lose his power to a new king of the Jews. King Herod is not keen to lose his power to a new king of the Jews because king of the Jews was Herod's title. King of the Jews was Herod's title. Um, And so here's what he said to the wise men, if you remember your familiar story. He said, go wise men, find this king of the Jew and tell me so I can come worship him. Right, you remember that part? Okay, so let's pick up the story. Matthew 2, verse 11. Let's read a long chunk together. On coming to the house, the wise men saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. And so now you remember my first question? Where did Mary store the gifts? I want you talk to somebody real quickly and see if you can come up with the answer. Ready? Go. Okay. So who says their donkey had a lockbox? I definitely ratchet strapped presents to the top of our car on the way home from, uh, from my parents a couple days ago. No? All right, who says they gave them to their family for holding while they escaped over to Egypt? Okay, no one really knows how long this exodus is going to last. Okay, uh, who says they gave them to Uncle Zach and to store them in the temple storage? Oh, no. We don't really know this one, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, those are some valuable gifts. Where do, you, where do you hold them while you bust off to Egypt? History, I looked all over. I looked at commentaries. I looked through all the scriptures that I could find. Like, there's no hint about what happens. So here's what we have to learn. Now, here's what we get to take away from this idea. That the wise men were not only prepared to be culturally sensitive and spiritually sensitive to see what was happening and then follow, but they also brought good gifts. They brought gifts that were used by royalty. You've all heard the phrase, you can't take it with, you, can't take it with you when you go to Egypt, right? It's Exodus joke. I'll stop those, right? Okay, sorry. Um, the entire storage unit industry is built on this premise. You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. Like, look around. All this stuff literally is temporary. That's why spiritual formation, the internal world of us, 
looking more and more like the character of Jesus so that we can see his kingdom around us. That's why it's so important. Because I see this, but I'm trying to live like Jesus. I'm trying to become like him so I can see the world, not the things, but the world like he sees it. I love that. So more important than good gifts is motivation of the giver. Right, give good gifts is what I wanted, is I wanted what I meant, make sure that we know is the idea for our storage room. We want to make sure that not only are we giving a good gift, but the motivation is right. We want to make sure that more important than the gift we give, but it's motivated by love. Motivation is a tricky thing. Only God can know my heart. Only God can know my heart. And so I always want to give from a heart, here's my teaching idea, that affirms the goodness in someone else. The gift given by the wise men was royalty, for royalty, but it was to affirm the goodness of the baby. I never want to give to prove my goodness. I always want to give to affirm goodness, but never to prove my goodness. And so here's where my sermon becomes dangerous because we've just come through Christmas. Could you take a moment and think back through the gifts that you've given and not the gift, but your motivation? See, every time we give a gift, we tell a story about ourselves. And now some of those stories are adventure stories, like a skateboard in the hands of a 20-year-old. And some of those stories are learning stories, like a skateboard in the hands of a five-year-old. Hopefully it's not an emergency story. And some of those stories are love stories, like a skateboard in the hands of a dad and his five-year-old. Like this is a love story right here. But from this wise men moment, Jesus is immediately thrust into a story of survival. Jesus is immediately thrust into a story of survival. Take the baby and go to Egypt. The church spends weeks every year trying to wrap our mind around how God would take on flesh take the form of a baby and come to a broken world, right? We do that. But there is more to this story of survival than just Jesus, God becoming a baby. You see, in that Bethlehem barn, that barn happens to be in the shadow of King Herod's palace, an actual place called the Herodium. Bethlehem is the closest town to it. King Herod, you remember him. He's the one who wanted to come what? worship the baby, worship the king of the Jews. He actually desired to be the, the greatest man to ever live. He was the richest man to ever live. How do you know? Because that picture I just showed you is his, his palace on top of a, you saw it, a mountain. Yeah, he built the mountain because he wanted a mountaintop palace. Wrap your mind around that. King Herod built a mountain for his mountaintop palace. And so this, this sermon is not about Herod. 
This is about what the writer is doing in telling the story of Herod and Jesus. See, Herod is the richest man to ever live. His storage rooms were built out of gold and silver. But you also have this other kingdom, this other king who is God in the shadow of King Herod's mountain. And this king is poverty stricken. This king is born to a, a rural family who is culturally questioned because how do you, how do you justify a virgin birth? So the questions abound. And here's the craziest part. This king announces his kingdom through shepherds. So we've been in Matthew 2. If you want to jump to Luke 2, you can find this story with me. In Luke 2, it is this, this, this king is announced and celebrated by shepherds. Uh, Luke 2, I think it's verse 10, says this. I bring you good news. It's an angel talking at night to, to the shepherds. And it's good news. Now, what you and I miss in this story is the opening of that heralding good news. You might have grown up around church and you might know that whenever we hear the gospel of Luke, like the church often calls that the good news of Luke. So gospel and good news, go, good news goes hand in hand. But what we don't appreciate is that good news, the gospel, is actually a Roman term. The gospel is peace given to you by Caesar and Rome if you bow. If you bend the knee and say that Caesar Augustus, you remember him, the one who wanted a census, wanted to monetize the effective scope of his kingdom. If you bowed the knee and said Caesar is Lord, King of Kings, the Prince, the Son of the Most High, like that, that sounds familiar, right? It sounded familiar to the shepherds too. Because when the angel spoke to the shepherd and said, behold, I'm bringing you good news. The sh Wait, time out. Shepherds heard it from an angel, right? Okay, and then he said this, I bring you good news. I'm bringing you a gospel. When you heard the word gospel, you knew it was about a new kingdom and a new ruler, and so here's the continuance of verse 10 into 11, 12. It says this. I had to find it. I didn't even use my notes for a while there. This is incredible. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And so this will be a sign to you. Time out right there. This will be assigned. It's kind of the same thing that's happening in Micah, right? It's, there's an idea that is beginning to build on top of itself, which is you can know, you can know for certain that the things I'm saying are true. And this will be assigned to you. <clears throat> you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So the, so the shepherds bump over to see this new gospel, this new ruling kingdom's ruler. Verse 17 continues, when they, the shepherds, had seen him, Jesus, 
they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. This gives me my final two ideas for our storage room. Um, The first final idea is that the shepherds are busy. Like I slowed down to read this familiar passage again over the past several weeks. I slowed down enough to look at the chronology. The shepherds traveled into Bethlehem, then they traveled through Bethlehem, and then they returned to the space where Jesus was. And while they were so busy, on the other hand, I saw Mary just treasuring these things and pondering them in her heart. And I was like, wow, what a difference of worldview. I have all this motion on one side, and then I have this 16-year-old, first-time mother holding a baby that weighs a ton. Like some of you appreciate what it's like to hold a baby. And so you have all these emotions of holding this first child. And it's full of anxiety. It's full of fear. It might be full of uh, exhaustion. And at the same time, it's full. This baby is full of unexpected hope. In fact, when Mary was holding this baby, I'm sure she had all of the overwhelming sense, but she also had this reality of a prophecy proved true in her arms. The angel was the one that showed up to her and said, you're going to have this baby. Then she carried this thing growing and eating her from the inside out. Some of you pregnant moms can appreciate what I did there. And then... And then now she's finally holding a boy and they will name him Jesus. Here's what I'd love for us to do uh, to maybe make this sermon real again for us. I'd love for you to take this week and take inventory of the stories that you lived through just in this past season. And what I'd love for you to do is name the emotions that came along with those stories. Because there are stories of hardship in this season. And if you have this space, go throughout this last year. And and some of these these stories are full of of maybe negative emotions, but then some some stories are full of positive emotions. And this is an amazing practice at the end of the year to name your stories and just to hold them well. And so if that's a looking backward application, let me give you a forward application from this sermon. Maybe this is the year that you seek out a mentor, someone who has wisdom stored up in his or her life story that's ahead of you on the path that you can just go sit with who is safe to dump it out. 
maybe some of you, this is the year that you seek a mentee. And it's not because you have stored wisdom, but because you understand the values of home for the holidays. And you have hospitality and care stored up inside of you that you can give to someone who's a little bit further back on the path and create that space of care. Sherwood Oaks, that is the call for 2020, is to take the values of home for the holidays and live them out. There's one more teaching idea, and it's to transition us to communion. See, I'm packing up the story of Christmas with you today. We're storing it away until next year because Christmas comes every year. And so these familiar stories will get taken back out and we'll look at them and we'll all experience them as a church body again. But every week at communion, we're invited to participate in the right story. So I wanna make sure that we don't miss this moment to tell and carry the right story into communion. The story goes like this. Motivated by love to affirm the goodness of his world, God gave the gift of his son to a broken place. Catch what I did there. God's work in sending Jesus was a motivation originating in love because he saw us in his world and declared us very good. This is the story that we tell at communion every week. That not only did God do that, but then Jesus came as a baby announcing a new kingdom and not one that's ruled by might and not one that's ruled with politics but a kingdom of sacrificial love, motivated by love for you and I. And so when we hold the bread and when we hold the cup, every week we are called to remember this story. And it's the invitation to God's family from there. No matter what your storage room looks like this year, no matter what the emotions and the pain points of this past season, I need you to hear the right story. That you are fully known, that you are fully loved. And you're invited to God's family. Would you pray? And I'm so thankful for the, the unique hope of that story. No one else can tell it but you. And despite of our internal baggage, God, you look at us and declare us good before we do anything to fix ourselves. I pray that that is the story that we're able to tell as a church body this morning. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.